Hello, welcome back. 831 Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. So we're back for another installment. Um, hope you all had a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. Um, not going to faff about too much. Uh, I want to get plenty more of these done. I've got a few booked in, but if you guys can come up with anybody, let me know. Drop me PMs, information about people you think would be a great podcast. That's all I'm interested in at the moment. Forget the sponsorship and whatnot. If I can just have um, people who are recommendations, basically. If I can have recommendations, I'll be over the moon. Otherwise, though, yeah, this is the 831 podcast. Um, and I'm joined by Shaky Richard Shore. Uh, dad of Jack Shores in the UFC, but also coach to many UFC fighters from Wales and a pioneer of not only Welsh MMA, but UK MMA as well. Great guy, great to talk to. Nice short little podcast for you as well, an hour or so long. You can blitz this one out on your work break or something. Um, great to talk to him. We, you know, chew the shit on all sorts of stuff, really. Um, UK MMA related, etc., uh, from the early days right up till now so yeah it really is a good podcast great for people who are just sort sort of getting into the sport and looking to progress in the sport but also if you know shaky it's a good podcast to listen to so yeah i really enjoyed it and it was a good way to start off the new year hopefully we'll have plenty of these coming up for you this year and i can really get on top of things um we'll see we'll see how we go but in the meantime this is the 831 podcast richard shaky shore Okay, Shake, thanks for joining me, mate. How are we doing? Where's your right? Yeah, good, mate. Thank you. How are you? How are you in... Uh, I do have a good Christmas, start a new year, okay? Yeah, it's been all right, mate. It's quite a bit quiet with everything. You know, Wales is in um, what you guys would have as a tier four lockdown, so there's absolutely nothing open, only supermarkets and, uh, uh, and you know, hospitals, I think, at the moment. Yeah, you guys have had it. Uh, I'm sure, you, to be fair, you guys have had your pants pulled down yeah repeatedly and even more so recently i would say uh, i i hear the guys like over by us like jabbering on about bad, how bad they've had it but you guys over there i think considering how small a community in that is over there as well you guys have had it pretty bad i'd say yeah i mean um I, I, you know it is what it is it, the, the infection rates they say in india is high you know so i understand you know they've got to be on a side of caution but i mean there's no consistency in my mind. There's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know? There's no rhyme or reason for some of the decision-making, you know? Yeah, it's, logic, logic seems yeah, to... Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no... Agreed, agreed. I mean, schools start back next Monday, you know, when I work in a school. So next Monday, I'll be allowed to go into an environment where there's 1,700 kids and 200 staff. Yet, yeah, over Christmas, they didn't want you mixing with any other members of your family. So... Um, it is what it is. We've just got to write it out now. I see they talk about this vaccine should be up and running by March, April. You know, um, I'm not somebody that's an ambassador of vaccines, but if it means we can have a bit of normality, I think everybody just, just wants to get back to how, how life was 12 months ago. Yeah, exactly, mate. And it's just, uh, like, you can be... It seems to be extremes. You've got the negative people, you've got the people who aren't too bothered, but then on the other side as well, you've got the people who are so far down the conspiracy theory line yeah. and you got some people who are so far to the line that they would literally lock themselves in their own wardrobe and be fed for a straw yeah. and everyone in between is just sort of lost in this camp and i'm you know i'm pulling my head out hair out because i'm sort of uh i'm a one of those people which you strike me to be as well on facebook and stuff you're just like well hang on short sure, where the fuck is the logic what's going on like yeah. why can't anybody be sensible um I, I, again, I, I watched um, watched the Andrew Marshall this morning with Boris Johnson on there, and you know he, he didn't answer this, a question straight. You know a, Andrew Marshall absolutely terrorised him with the questioning because, again, the, the, lots of the questions were sensible, reasonable, you know, answers, and he couldn't give an answer for anything. It's yeah. like I said, I mean, it's it's unique times. I mean, I'm 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 50 this year, and in all my years, I've never seen anything like this. And I'm fingers crossed we get it sorted, and we never got to see it again. But Madness, madness. I mean, it's impacted us, the MMA community in particular, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? We can't can't compete. We're not allowed to train. I mean, gyms in Wales, um, 
overall, I think it's six months of the year we've pretty much lost, you know. So it's it's not fair, you know. Um, my my take is live your life, shield the vulnerable. Um, if you're uncomfortable going into a gym, don't go to a gym. But leave the gyms open for anybody that does wanna wanna go and keep fit and and keep their mental health at a, a, a at a good pace, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, mate. I'm uh, like, I'll wear a mask everywhere to make other people feel comfortable. Yeah, same as me. You know, but when it comes to taking away my personal choices and my personal freedoms of can I go and exercise and like open it up, and if you want to go, you can go, and if you don't because you're worried, don't don't go to gyms, you know. Yeah. And they said like um. Oh, professional athletes can go train and do like that's all very well, but the next generation of professional athletes are being killed now because the yeah. amateur athletes aren't being given a chance to to train and develop. And I just think it's just so bad. And with our sport, obviously, the transition between amateur and pro is very prevalent, and people see it. If you were to say a footballer or something like that, you don't really see the transition between amateur and, and professional. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, with yeah, our it's... sport, like we see it and we we notice it, you know. Also, as well, I think we we we're, we're a unique sport, and with the wrestling, with the jujitsu, with everything, we need contact. We we, you know, we're, we're creatures which are only going to evolve in the sport if we've got contact. And at the moment, you know, as you said, it's only the elite level guys that are being uh, being allowed to. To do that, and I'm not daft, mate. Listen, there's gyms all around the country um, are not abiding by those rules, yeah. uh, and I'm not locking them in any way or form. But like, let's just get some normality back. Let's get back to where we were 12 months ago, and everybody getting on with a healthy lifestyle. And as you said, these young amateurs now, my amateurs, I've got a big team, as you know, Wes. Yeah. My amateurs have lost 12 months, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's been great. They've been able to improve technically and all the rest of it, but they've lost a year of competition as a year they're never going to get back yeah and the thing is now from someone like my team at the moment at A3 is pretty much consists only of amateurs yeah I've got people who are like I'm going to go pro I'm going to go I want to go I'm going to go pro and it's hard to convince people that listen this this ain't the the time to go pro just because the circumstances listen there's no shows out there for the professionals I mean, you've got cage warriors doing their thing, but, you know, you've got to be uh, on the high end of the experience level to, to get on there. I've got a load of no- novice guys, you know, and I've got a brilliant relationship with um, cage warriors, but there's only so many fighters they can put on, and I'm under no illusion that my my guys are, you know, making their debut or one or two and all, we're not going to get the opportunity of somebody that's got 10 pro fights, and, and, and rightly so, but, you know... Let's, let's get something. I'd have loved to have followed the New Zealand route. If they'd said to me, you've got to lock yourself in the house and I'll leave for six weeks and, you know, we can go back to some form of normality after after a three-month period, I think we'd have all bit their hand off on hindsight. Yeah, yeah, I think so, mate. Just just some sense of, of something coming to an end would just be great for everybody. You, you'll suffer if you think, right, well, there's, there's the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, but to not know, it is absolutely just uh, torture. For... For us as well, because we're always aiming for something. When we sign yeah. a fight or when we start training, we're always aiming for a fight or a 10-week camp or some. We're always aiming for something. So to have no goal in sight is a bit like, it is uh, yeah, demoralising. It's, it's like the jiu-jitsu team, you know. The, the majority of my my team are not, are not MMA fighters, it's jiu-jitsu guys. Yeah. Um, and they've not, they've not been up to any competition, you know. Yeah, only supposed to be doing solo drilling, you know. What what on earth solo drilling is gonna gonna do for you? I really don't know, you know. Um <laughs> there's only so much online learning you can you can actually stomach. But like I said, mate, oh, fingers crossed they've got the um the vaccines up and running. You know, I, I'm not an advocate of, of vaccines, but I will happily take one if it means I can get my life back, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I mean the 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 UFC have sort of paved the way for people to follow and shown that, listen, this shit can be done. And okay, the lower end um, shows can't follow suit. They can't do that sort of thing. It, it, it's same- it's financially on. impossible to follow me. Like, the Cage Warriors events, you know, the money that Boylan and the crew there are investing into the hotels, the bubble, the, the testing. You know, I, I didn't put a figure on what they're putting in. The US here at another level again. If you've got to remember, they're flying people in, they're keeping them yeah. isolated for anything. Whether you're in, you know, if you're in Abu Dhabi, it's five days of isolation in different hotels. Um, but you know, it's safe. There's it nobody died at the UFC. There's there's been a couple of positive tests, but them guys have 
full fully fit athletes who in two weeks have turned around and back back yeah. training. Uh, I'm 11 and all this year with COVID tests. Anyway, I've had, had 11 and I've, I've, uh, I've negative every time. But you know, <laughs> I, I've been very fortunate. I've got a couple of lads on the on the on the UFC in the cage. What he's seen and it's kept me busy. But like I said, the majority of my guys, probably 90% of my students, are not ever going to step foot in the cage. So it's been real a real tough year for those guys. You know. Yeah, I hear you, mate. We uh, I spoke to uh, Ian and the guys over there about a couple of my guys, and like, he basically said, we've got no, we got no up and coming pros for them to switch over with yeah. because of the situation, and end up in a conversation more about if I'm looking for a fight because <laughs> the, the experienced guys are, are what's needed now. You know, like that's that's just the way it is, and there's a a stark reality. But hopefully, you know, summer's coming round the corner. We'll, we will turn the corner, and it'll be put down to a shit year. But hopefully you know, hopefully we, we ride it out and we, we get back on track. Yeah, fingers crossed, pal. Fingers crossed. Oh, but um, for you, though, uh, in terms of the MMA and stuff, mate, you, like, as far as I back as I can remember, and I've been I've been fighting since 2004 or three, one of the two, Um, and as far as I can remember, you've been on the scene. You may be not quite as far back as I, but as far as I can remember, yeah. I remember you being on the scene, but primarily... As a coach, you didn't fight until much later on, did you? You had a couple of fights a little bit later uh, on. I'm trying to think. 2003 was my, my, my first fight. Okay. Yeah, back in the old NL Sports days. Yeah. Uh, you know, open, open match, no head shots. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it. I think it was down in Bath with the, the first. And then um, they right. started doing, Rossi Nicaro and Heath Gates started doing the grappling strike Wales. Yeah. That's where I met, I think that's where I met Paul Reed for the first time. Yeah. It was probably around about oh, 2003, 2004, probably, um, on, on that circuit. But, yeah, I say to the youngsters now, you know, when I say this on every event, they, they don't know how lucky they are. I mean, back when, when we were competing back in the day 20 years ago, there was no it was no, no shows doing it with a cage, you know. You're lucky to get a boxing ring if you were lucky, you know. No, no medicals and the platform they've got today. Um, everything's in place now. If, if this is something you want to follow and pursue as a career and make a living out of it, you know, as long as you work hard and you've got a uh, a certain amount of attitude and commitment, there's no reason why anybody can't make a make a go of it in this sport. You know, if you're in the right place, because what Cage Warriors have done on the domestic level, and um, you know, you look at the gyms now, you, you, you you'll be the first to say this. Whereas a, a BJJ black belt, you never even heard of one back in 2002, yeah. 2003. You know, you couldn't pick one out anyway could you, you know whereas now every every gym in wales that i know of has got a bjj black belt coach in there you know so they're very fortunate but um the, the level now i think of some of the lads you know some you, you probably same as yourself i got some kids coming through there 19 20 years of age that are going to be terrifying absolutely terrifying yeah you know? exactly so, i mean i i so i started i was about 20 when i started and um i remember we it was at Trojan Free Fighters. My first ever fight was at Culverhay in Bath. It was one of those where the fight got stopped more times to push the mats back together. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. Anything yeah. else, you know. Um, but then we had to fly a, a black belt over, and we had, uh, I think we had Carlos Escojega was the first black belt we had over there. But there was no one. Just not. It was unheard of to have a black belt training yeah. at your gym. And like you say, you know, there was just no one. And now the evolution, people are just, they're set up to to you know have a go and go for it and i think i teach some of these guys now and i see them at like 15 16 they come into my class raw yeah. a year later they've absorbed so much and you look at me think wow if i if i could have had after a year of training if i could have had that knowledge yeah yeah spot on and and, and again the experience on the mat i mean you you come and train at my place you know we've got um 18 year old lads we've got 50 year old men that's just looking for a bit of fitness um, and we're all training a jiu-jitsu lesson and we've got uh, six black belts on the mat, X amount of bronze belt, we've got UFC stars, we've got Cage Warriors World Champions. You know, they're in such a, a wonderful position where they've got world-class coaching, world-class facility and world-class um, athletes training on the same mat. There's only one way they're going to go. I mean, what are the, we, I had this conversation the other day, what other sport in the world can a grassroots level amateur train in the same session as a UFC level athlete you know it's like I say to these lads it's like one of the local football teams having Beckham pop in and having a kick around with them exactly. once a week you know so 
like, try not to take it for granted because it's all they've known. I'm trying to say, don't take things for granted because it was never, the, never always this way. And as quickly as the UFC guys can come, they can go as well the way they're cutting and chopping and changing. So make the most of every minute of it. But yes, um, it's, it's it's certainly a different uh, a different level and a different place MMA is to what it was back back in the day the old ML sports and the grappling strike. I mean, my first my first um, grappling strike match was in a a function room in Brimmow Rugby Club in Wales, and again I was the same pushing the match back together. Yeah. There was a group of um, Hell's Angels bikers had pulled up and they were watching it. It was, it was quite quite surreal back in the day, but wouldn't change it, mate. It's give us good grounding and it's, it's made us the the, well, yeah, the, the people we are, I think. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, and I, I did think to myself, if if I could have swapped my career and just be coming into it now at 20 or where I am, I wouldn't. I'd keep what, where I am now because I I find myself... Obviously, you've followed me for years. I'm a flitter, mate. I, I'm into so many different things, but I get obsessed and I fall into them deeply. And one of my things could be, say, stand-up comedy. I've been doing a bit of stand-up comedy, but I get a bit nostalgic and a bit disappointed that I wasn't there at the beginning. And, uh, yeah. and the same would say falconry. I hate that it started in, like, the 1500s, you know? Yeah. And But with MMA, I can honestly say I was there at the beginning, you know? Yeah. So I wouldn't... There's no way I'd change it and go on to be now because I think once you've once you've fought professionally and you've been around the world and you've done stuff, you realise that where you fight and what you achieve is only a personal goal anyway. There's yeah. not nobody actually really. I lost you, Amy. Whoever do it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You're back. Sorry. Yeah. Mate. Sorry. Yeah. You're back. Sorry. Um. Yeah. So it like Anderson Silver, someone's name might not even pop up if you talk about greats now with the with the new era of fans. So your those achievements are sort of personal. All that matters is the experience and what you get from fighting. What is it you want from it? So what I've seen and what we've been through and how we've seen us evolve and like literally being on top of someone in a fight and having to explain to the ref that no, you haven't got to stop the fight in the position. <laughs> <laughs> Those sort of things are they're amazing. They're worth their weight in gold, you know. Agree, mate. I mean, I mean, turning up at events and um, you know, people from the crowd willing to take a fight because somebody's dropped out. And I've seen all sorts, mate. You know, I, I I've, I've spoken to a few people about it. I ought to write a book because some of the stories are so far from reality that you think I'm making it up, you know. But there's plenty yeah. of guys that were around at the day. Um, you know, two people fighting on the same. I've seen somebody knocked out and then fight again on the same same. Can you imagine it today? I mean, how we never picked up some serious injury or even a death back in the day. I really, I really don't know. But you have people uh, like Paul Jenkins, Paul Jenkins, who now people might look at Paul and think that he's a journeyman. Now, if Paul's a journeyman, he's not like any other journeyman. It's not yeah. like. You get these junior men who just turn up. I've seen Paul, though, walk up to a fight, just so willing to fight, walk up and chuck his towel to someone in the, in the audience and get them to corner him. Yeah, yeah. And they I might mean, have a good performance. You have, you have a look at Paul's record. He's like um, he's one fight off 100, 100 pro fights. Yeah. Um, and it's a mixed record. It's like a 50-50 split on wins and losses. But if you uh, when you talk about junior men, you, you, you know as well as I do, Wes, there's guys out there, I won't name names, but... They turn up, they'll roll over, they'll they'll have their little payday and, and off they go. Jenkins will turn up and come to win. So he was at that level back then, you know, he's, he's fought Dan Hardy, Paul Daly, you know, guys that went on to have established UFC careers, you know. Um and he was a you know, he's he's a dangerous man, Paul. Do you know what I mean? He used to be, you know, he can he could turn your lights off, can he, with one yeah. shot, you know, he used to be a bang. But my favorite story with him, um I had Marshman, he was three and oh at pro and uh, I put a post up I think it was on the old Cage Warriors forum back in the day and uh, back on the uh, Facebook page saying I've been let down a five days notice I'm, I'm looking for a, a pro fighter to fight Jack Marshman you know Jack had a bit of reputation on the amateur scene and he was 3-0 and he'd been banging everybody un unconscious in his fights and Jenkins, <laughs> Jenkins texts me are you still looking at yourself for Marshman I said yeah we've got somebody he said no I'll, I'll, I'll come up and fight him he said I said oh Paul I am got this you know, the, the type of money I'm looking for a novice pro. I don't want no money. He said, I'll come up and I'll do it for nothing. And at like five days notice, he's like rocked in on the day, an hour before the fight, got his medical done. 
wrapped his hands, jumped in there and, and, and was competitive right up until the third round when he got stopped, you know. But that's Jenkins, although he just loves to fight. And, you know, if, if he was young enough and fit enough, I think he'd still be doing that now, mind to be fair to him. Oh, but, 100%. You know, yeah, yeah. He'd have a fight on a Friday, Saturday and a Sunday, three days running sometimes. He'd just yeah. off, he'd go and travel. And as you said, travel on his own. But uh, again, he, he's doing well, Paul. Now he's, he's got a good team down there, Dogs of War. He, he's he's yeah. done well as a coach. He's got some tough fighters coming through. Um, and he, he's somebody that I say to all the youngsters, you know, he, he is the godfather of Welsh MMA. There's no ifs or bets on that. He is he's the man that led the charge from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I, I remember from the early, early days, mate. You know, like I mean, obviously we had Lee Remedios locally, um, but Paul, you'd whatever show you were at, and Paul would. There was a, if Paul's on the card, I wasn't missing the, the fight. Yeah, I would, yeah. I'd come out and I'd be stood out watching it. If I was warming someone up, I'd be sitting on the landing looking down in if it's in a nightclub or something, yeah, you know, spot because. Spot. You never know. If Paul could have turned up super fit, ready to fight anyone who the UK can put in front of him, or he could turn up and really train for six weeks and give just as good a performance because there's no quit in him and he's yeah. up for it. it yeah. was just and, he, and he's a character as well, isn't he? You know what I mean? He's got that persona about him. He's entertains a crowd. You, you don't yeah. know what he's going to do. You know what I mean? You, you, you're on edge whenever you're around with him because you just don't know what he's going to do next. But <laughs> no, I, I'm glad he's still on the scene and I'm glad he's doing well because he's somebody I've got an awful lot of respect for, Paul. Yeah, likewise, mate. Likewise. So, um, so yeah, you you were uh, you were active early on. You did a bit and stuff. And then when did you decide coaching was your route, mate? When did you think, like, was it one of those things where you were training and it led into it or you decided? Yeah, I was, I was training and I, I was, I was at the gym I was at. Um, I was doing a lot more coaching because I was one of the more experienced guys there. And in 2000, and, end of 2007, you know, a lot of the boys that we were training at the time said, were, were encouraging me to start my own place. So that's, that's what we done. In 2008, I found a little cellar in a, in a nightclub, matted it out, and um, off I went. I was still competing then, MMA. I had a couple more fights when I was still head coach at Lady Combat, as we were then, when I was showing me martial arts. Um but I, I was about, I think it was 38. I'm a last fight when I was 38. And it was just one of those fights where I was fit, I was ready, you know, I trained, trained my ass off for it. But my brain was telling my body to do stuff and it wasn't reacting how it should. Uh, and more so after the fight, you know, I felt like an old man, you know, I felt beaten up. Um, I, I was probably, and this is not an exaggeration, I was probably a month recovering after that fight, you know, from the bruising, from the... And it was a case of, you know, right, I've got a good team around me. I don't need to be leading from the front now. Let's try and concentrate my efforts into the coaching a little bit more. Um, you know, as much as I'd love even now at 50 to be able to roll back the years and have a fight, whereas because I do miss it, I miss it every day. Father time waits for no man. And uh, I would have got hurt, I think, if I'd carried on past 38, you know, could have been a lot, a lot worse for me. So I, I enjoy, you know. My, my career was mainly amateur. I was too old when I got into it. You know what I mean? I'm 50 this year, so you can work the sums out. I think it was 30 when I had my first, yeah. you know, no headshot bout. Um, but I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't change it. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I transfer a lot of what I've learned now into the coaching side of it. And obviously, it's, it, it had its positives because we, we, we've got a successful team now, you know. So probably about 2000, 2009, probably 2010 was... I'm trying to work out my age now. Yeah, but 2010 was when I thought, right, I'm done with the MMA now. It's still competing in jiu-jitsu, but concentrate on the coaching. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is uh, you, you'll you get to a point as well where you'll maybe take a fight that really it's below your level, but you don't want to lose. Yeah. So you end up taking that fight, or you end up fighting against someone who you think, fuck me, two years ago, yeah, just because yeah, you yeah, didn't yeah. hang it up. And I... I'm always in turmoil of whether I'm retired or not. And because part of me always thinks like I didn't really give it my all. And yeah. for some parts of my career I did, but then other things come up like doing this podcast and stuff and, you know, other bits that I'm working on. And I look at some of the guys like your Jack and that, and I'm like, I, or Nad, Nad Naramani, Nad's a yeah. perfect example. Like I look at people like Nad and I'm like, he, what he's doing, the commitment, how it's everything, how it's, uh, like I don't want to let all those things go to be that committed to something that I was that committed years ago to, you know? Yeah, and and, and spot on then what you said. Today's day and age, back in the day, as I said, you go back to I don't know, even like from two thousand and twelve, two thousand thirteen, you know, 
as a promoter, I could pick the phone up and get somebody a 24 hours notice. No problem at all to drop in for a fight. Yeah. The amateurs today are training like pros. And, you know, it, it's not a pastime anymore. It is a profession, even at amateur level, I believe. Um, unless you're willing to give that six days a week, several times a day, you, you've got no chance of competing at the, the high end of the, uh, of the sport. You know, I've got amateurs that train Monday to Friday, minimum twice a day because they're doing it full time because they're in a position where they're living with their, their parents and they've got overheads and they're very, very fortunate to be in that, that position. But as you said, it's, it's not something to play at. You've got to give it 110%. You've got to be all in, all, all, all out, I think, with it as a fighter. It's not something you think, oh, well, I'll have a fight this year, maybe not next year. And the, the, the level's mental now, mate. I mean, you look at these IMAFs and some of these kids coming through um, on the world, world stage at Amateur, terrifying, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look like people like Oban and people like that who, like, just come up out of nowhere when they get to the pro scene and stuff, and you're just like, fuck. I mean, you, I, I'm fortunate enough because I got to see Jack's career progress because obviously knowing you and, I, like, seeing him go through the amateur ranks, and then when he comes onto the pro ranks and you're just like, People didn't smash people up like that back yeah. in our day. People didn't weren't that dominant. And I remember you used to have to go to America to to achieve or to be around people of that level. You know, I, yeah, I had to go to America to train a few times because we didn't have people. And you see people like him come out of Wells, and you're like, "Fuck, man!" Like these this this guy. Like if you're watching from the outside, because very few people follow the amateur uh, uh, running. So if you look at him, you see you're. Like, Fucking, where has this guy come from? Yeah. Oh, this guy's been a pro for four years. He's yeah. just been fighting amateur. I mean, he's just, he's been a dedicated professional athlete for four years. And going pro has just been like, this is it. You're over yeah. For me, I think, I think you should go, I think you should turn pro after you're ready. You know, I don't think, because we never oh, have. No, yeah, I think that it should be, you know, when, when the fighter feels like, they should turn pro, or when the fighter's like, oh, should I go pro? The coach should have already been thinking about it two fights ago. If you're turning pro and your coach is not thinking that, maybe you just have to step back slightly, you know? That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I agree, mate. I mean, if, if you want a blueprint of how to approach an MMA career, I think how Jack's, you know, Ali bang on a, a a long amateur career, no rushing, plenty of jiu-jitsu competitions, plenty of amateur boxing. Um, the IMAFs was a turning point because I would have liked to have kept him amateur probably a little bit longer, but once he'd won that European IMAFs, we had no chance of matching him domestically yeah. on, on any shows. Um, and again, a, a pro is good. You have you, It's important, particularly if you want to make a real living out of this, it's important you have the right people around you. And I mean... You see so many people taking bad fights early on in their career, you know, uh, and I've seen it as in, in my club, you know, as a, a coach that didn't have the experience that have gone now, you know, I'd have probably made different decisions 10 years ago if I had the experience that have gone now. Yeah. But, you know, it's about stepping up that competition a little bit at a time, you know, when, once you get the UFC, you're on the big stage. So what you need is a, a what I call an apprenticeship that when you sign that four fight deal on your first contract, you were fully anticipating to sign another one at the end of it. Not go in, have two fights, two losses, come back out. You know, getting there is not enough these days. You're not, you know, you're not going to change your life in any way or form by going into the UFC and losing two fights. You, you know, time you've paid your your management fees and your taxes and everything else is it, it, next to no money. But the apprenticeship, like without Jack, for example. When he walked out for the UFC in Copenhagen and there's 10,000 people on their feet, he's not overwhelmed because he's been selling out 5,000 seats at the Ice Arena for the last three fights. He's been main event. As he said in his interviews, the the UFC was a lot less pressure than his last three fights in Cage Warriors because, you know what it's like, you fight for a world title, you've won it. Then you've got to defend it. And then every time you walk into that Cage Warriors arena, if, if you lose you're three or four fights away from the UFC again. Yeah. You know, um, we had, we had been fortunate that we'd been in a position when Jack was three and all, we were offered a contract from the UFC. We declined that. And again, this is where more coaches have got to think for, for the long game, not the short game. You know, I'd have signed him up at three and all, he'd have probably been in and out in two or three fights. Yeah. Not going to get back in when he was nine and all, we were offered a fight, but he had a broken hand. So we turned that down. And also after he'd won the world title, he was um, 10 and all. I was in 
London with Marshman for the USC event, and we were offered a deal again for Jacks. This was the third time they'd come. Uh, and I stood firm and said, no, I want him to, to defend it. So he'd, he'd agreed to fight Scott Malone, and I felt that we we had a duty to the crowd in Wales who supported him as well to to honour that fight. Yeah. And lots of people saying, well, what if he loses? What if he loses? My attitude was, well, if he loses, he's not ready for the UFC. Yeah. You know, so we took that. But all those little pressure cooker environments have been the perfect apprenticeship. So now he's not overawed. He's not overwhelmed. He was very fortunate as well. Marshman had been in the UFC for four years, so he'd gone and cornered. So he understood how the UFC worked. He understand the format. So nothing was like being a, a rabbit in headlights then, you know. But I say to a lot of my guys, a lot of my guys are like, one again, USC, one again, USC. USC will come when it's good and ready. Do your apprenticeship. Again, we've been held back by 12 months because there's been no crowds. and no, But I think it's important fighting in front of those big crowds, you know, domestically, just to get used to that feel, that trepidation. I knew, you know, Jack didn't fight until after 11 p.m. for his last four fights at Cage Warriors. And it's a long old day. And on your own <laughs> turf as well in Wales, you know. So, um, you know, any advice I would give to any coaches out there, this this got a protege coming through and I have a lot of coaches, you know, will will message me privately and ask for a bit of advice on some guys that they've got a, at, at that point, like how Jack was. And I say to them, when it's the right time, you'll know it's the right time. You know, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah I think uh, the, like for me personally, I don't think enough coaches take accountability and they sort of see it. Or they can get lost in the in the draw of the big show as well, you know. Or or oh, it makes more money, or it's more exciting to have pro fighters in the in the camp. And I mean, just recently, I was offered for for one of my guys within the last year. I was offered for one of my guys. Like he's five and zero at pro, um, amateur. We got a pro fight for him. I'm like, nah, he's not ready. And I'm like, no, he smashed. It. I'm like, no, listen, my guy's not going out of the second round. I've never seen him on his back in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen him led there. Me shout across the 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 mat. Post, put your knee to the cage. Get. I want to see him in a in a grind. I want to know that when when his back's on the mat and he's looking at me with his eyes, as much as say, "What the fuck do I do?" Yeah. Yes. I know uh. that he will listen to me and either hold out or he will grind out and won't just see the easy option out. And the thing is, you can be as much as a fight of a fighter as you want, but until you've been there and you've been in that position. And as, for me as a coach, until I've seen you in that position, I can't say you're ready because once you go pro, can't you go back. in that position as someone elbowing you in the face. Yeah, and also you can't go back. You know, you can't yeah. go into that pro fight and think, do you know, I made a mistake now. There's no shows, you know, legitimate shows are going to say, well, come back and fight amateur. You yeah. know, so it's a big stepping stone. Make sure it's the right time, I always say. I mean, if it was up to me, uh, I like the boxing ethos where you can get the amateurs 30, 30, 40 fights before they go pro, you know. Some of them are touching 100, aren't they, these amateur boxers. But in an ideal world, I, I would love... And don't get me wrong, there's always um, individuals that are just so athletically gifted that sometimes you think, well, pro would probably suit their rule set a little bit better. Um, but they are few and far between. And I think, like I said, I keep going back to that word apprenticeship, you know, you, you don't become a doctor you by going to medical school for you. You know, it's years and years and years of hard work and hard practice and dedication and giving up lots of parts of your life to get to that point. And it's no different than any profession. And fighting is one of them. If you want to be the best in the world, you've got to give up your weekends. You've got to give up your nights out with your mates. You've got to give up the shitty food. You've got to give up your chocolate. And you've got to be willing to be training every day like it's the only thing on earth that matters. Yeah. And you've got to do that consistently as you said, as an amateur for three, four years, and then as a pro for three, four years. So you're not getting the USC from the minute you decide I want to do MMA is something that I want to do. You're talking, it's an eight-year process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even, uh, we're talking at the, at the highest echelon. Yeah. But for me, even at the, those lower echelons, I mean, like, if you've got a guy who who's just like, listen, I know I'm not going to go UFC, or my goal isn't go UFC, I just want to be the best that I can be. Yeah. Well, making that jump is still the wrong decision. Like, it's... Cage Wars, obviously, I've got a great relationship with the guys there, but they don't give a fuck about you. They want to build the best fighter that they can. They can. So when they sign you, if you go one and zero, you're now an option for them. You're now someone who they're thinking, right? We got someone one and they're going to sign everyone to a contract now as well. We know that. So yeah. they sign you. If you go one and zero, they're thinking, right? We got someone we can use here a bit. If you go zero, if you go um, zero and one, oh, that you're immediately you've taken. 
not just one step back, mm. you've taken two steps back, but now you're signed to an organization who you can only fight when they want to use you. Yeah. So you can't even go and di- you can't even go and get four fights under your belt to get rid of that one, you know? You're just yeah. you're at the point where you're like, right, I've got to sit and wait for cage wars, but they're not thinking about you. They're busy because they've got loads of other hungry guys who have just got their one and oh and and, and in the current climate, they have they've got an abundance of people wanting to fight. So, you yeah. know, they, they can take their pick. Again, going back to this is why I want some normality, March, April, hopefully in the summertime, the shows will be back. And, you know, some of the grassroots, the academy shows, the particularly in Wales, the Adrenaline Fight Nights, you know, um, up with you guys, there was always plenty in the Bristol area of, of grassroots MMH tear up. Um, uh, my mind's gone blank. I, I think you guys have fought on a couple of shows Um yeah, we've I mean we've had loads here over the years. We've had terror, we've had knuckle up, we've had uh, we've got rage up the, up rage, the rage. Yeah, that was one I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we got loads, and then we've got meltdown now, which is coming through for the guys. Yeah, doing, yeah. Paul Sullivan's doing a good job with Simon with that. Yeah, so yeah. So it, we've always had a sort of, but of course as well, we also we also had Ultimate Combat right in the beginning, which was dealing those guys from ML. They created Ultimate Combat, didn't they? You know. Yeah. So we've always Bristol's always we've been lucky in the we've always had like a, a hub, if you will. Um, so yeah, we've always had opportunity to get people on shows and stuff. Yeah. And uh, the, the more of them shows, the better, you know, as long as they professionally run, you know, uh, I'm a keen advocate of the, the safe MMA process. I mean, yeah. and that's from not just as a promoter, as a coach, you know, we had, um, and I'll use his name. We had a, a guy, Dave Alcott that trains with me and really talented lad, Dave He still trains with me now, but obviously can't do the MMA. And he was, uh, ready to fight on one of the ice, ice arena shows. And um, when he had the brain scan, it found um, a problem with like a, a, an old clot on the brain that the doctor's words, you know, and this was a doctor, head in a football could end his life. You know, now there's way too many shows that are flippant about, oh, well, you know, so a lot. You can't put a price, I don't think, on, on well-being, you know, as, as a team, we, we'll always find that through sponsors and, you know, we can get a full safe MMA clearance for 500 quid and then to renew that every year is like 130 quid in Wales. Yeah. I don't think 130 quid, you know, you get, a, get like people say, oh, it's a lot of money to start off. I say, if you're going to be a plumber, you don't just turn up to somebody's house and say, can I borrow your spanner? Can I spoil your, you know, you've got to pay for your tools. And for me, that, that, that um, process of making sure you're medically clear to fight is paying for your tools to go in and do the job. Yeah. Now, if Dave had gone in there and, and, and been killed, how would that affect me as a as a coach? You know, I've got to face his wife, I've got to face his children. I'd have probably walked away from a sport. And that's, that's not me being overly dramatic. That's the impact that would have had on me. So as much as it was awful that he found this, it's a fantastic thing the safe MMA was in place. And we we stopped the kid putting his life in danger, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, so as, as expensive as it is, it is something I think that, you know, young fighters need to be out advertising itself on Facebook, trying to raise that 500 quid just to get the ball rolling. Even if the shows they're fighting on are not necessarily safe MMA clear, I think it's important for your own be- benefit and your own peace of mind that you're fit also, and ready to fight, you know? And also, it makes it a lot easier to get a cage warriors call up. I'm already got safe MMA. I'm yeah. ready to go. Boom. You're, you're, you're one step ahead of the other people. I think uh, I'm... I'm with you. Maybe it's because we've seen the the, the beginning of the sport and we've seen the uh, how people were, weren't killed early on or how there weren't any serious injuries. Like you do sometimes think, fuck, how did we get away with this yeah. for so long? Yeah. And you see that and now you think, right, there's something in place. We should be utilizing it. And yeah. I think I had this on a podcast I did recently with Ben Lambert who owns A3. And I was saying to him from my, in my mindset, the license or the owner should lie with the promoter. So make the promoter responsible for ensuring the fighters are safe MMA or registered because that way the only person who's going to be greedy or keen enough to fill an arena is the promoter because the fighter just wants to fight. The fighter just wants to fight. You don't care who's there to watch him. He just wants to fight. So no promoter wants to lose money. So they're going to need to feel that. So they're going to take the last minute guy. Yeah, hey, will you step in and fight? If you if you make the onus on the promoter, I think then you then make it a lot safer as a sport as opposed to, to the individual. And I think if all the promoters bought into it, I mean, I run the academy shows, which is mainly amateur with three or four pros, but the pros have got to be safe MMA cleared. And it's a ball ache, let me tell you, because as you said, 
I gotta have somebody who's sold 300 tickets and they've injured themselves a week out, and I gotta get somebody to say if MMA cleared yeah. to fit in. And, and we've lost money on shows, but as I said, you can't put a price on safety. If all the promoters came together and said, right, let's make sure we do it, the fighters would have none of these shows that they go on and, and put their put their careers at risk, you know? Because as you said, why if why are promoters not putting the safe MMA in place? It's a financial cost. It's a financial cost to me as a promoter because I've got to have a doc, two doctors, I've got to have a paramedic company, I've got to have two ambulances, I've got to make sure certain things are in place, I've got to make sure all the fighters are medically cleared. But I mean, as I said, I'd rather have the ball late and lose a couple of bob than lose somebody's life. That's my that's my take on it, you know. Um, and it all you lose, your, you lose your credibility. You don't yeah, even lose your life. The life is. I mean, nobody. The life would be the worst end of the scenario. But you lose your credibility because how do people speak about? You know, Rich Shorey promoted that event, and you hear about that kid who died because he couldn't be bothered to do this. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, hang on, I like, I clean my mats after every single time we have a session because I don't want to get staff. I put everything away so it looks neat. I follow all the rules. I do all this, but I couldn't be fucked just to make sure the fighters have got safe MMA. Yeah. You know, it's just it's it's a shit. Where, and I think the only trouble now is we're faced now a lot of the time with a lot of promoters who are they got no insight to the sport. It's yeah. it now it's almost it's almost a career to be a promoter yeah. without any way into the sport as in you were into MMA, you've experienced MMA, you've done this, you've done. So you do get like promoters who have a lot of input from MMA fighters. And they, but then you do unfortunately still get the promoters who are just, I'm a fight promoter. I promote fight, fight shows. And yeah, it's hard to understand our side yeah. without, without that experience, you know? Yeah. Agree. I mean, you know, the, the creme de la creme is UFC. Their medical team and how they look after fighters is like I've never seen anything like it. You know, uh, I'd love to see their their medical bill after an event. To be honest, just to, out of curiosity to see you know what money has gone into it. But th- those guys, they take it so and don't get me wrong, they're in a position financially um, where, where they can. You know, but a lot of people say, oh, the promotion should pay for the safe MMA. I, I disagree. I disagree. I've got fighters and we we fund ourselves because. You may say to me, right, Rich, come and fight on my show. Okay, where's well, you've got to pay my safe MA and you invest 560 quid into 10 fighters. So there's 5,600 quid, right, straight away. But those 10 fighters got no loyalty to you. They may say after one fight, oh, that wasn't for me. I caught a day. Or, you know, it's not a good investment financially. The promotions are putting on the shows. They make sure that you're safe. They make sure that all the right things are in place. I think the least a fight they can do is invest 500 quid into putting himself in a position. How much do you want it? How much do you want it? Do you know what I mean? It's one of those It's one of those scenarios. I, I still get now, and I bet you still get now, mate, people who have been at your class for six months and still haven't got shin guards. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's fucking 40 quid. Yeah. Like, how much do you want it? Like, you, yeah. I've seen on your Facebook, you've been to the cinema four times, and you went out for a meal with your missus. Say to your missus, I want to do yeah. this. Drinking beer everywhere. I say to my amateurs now, put, put a tenner a week away. Yeah. Put a tenner a week away now, that's all. Put a tenner a week away, and then you're going to have all your, you know, when you last year to be in an app, put £10 a week away, and then when it's time to go pro, you've got 500 quid in the bank, and you're good to go. You're cleared for all your all your medicals. Yeah, exactly, mate. It's uh, it's just a case of, uh, uh, you need to listen to your coach, it's the, the number one thing. I mean, we, like, I, I didn't really have a, an MMA coach. We had coaches and we put everything together and I was yeah. lucky I was around Ronnie Mann, James Thompson, Zelg and you know so we had a good group of us and lots of the guys went on to, to do really well so I was lucky but you know you've got a coach now we've got MMA coaches they've experienced the shit listen to them because I guarantee you one thing a coach doesn't give a fuck about anything but you and your record that is yeah. it yeah it's like, as a coach, mate, look, I mean, I coach for free where I'm ki- coaching now because we're a small gym, we're helping it build and stuff, and there's no fucking money in it. So I coach for free. I'm, personal training's a different matter, but when it comes to coaching the class, I coach class for free. When I had my gym, obviously, I had to keep the gym going. For five years, Olympians MMA was bleeding me dry at points, you know, as you all know yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I wanted people to fight on a on a fight show was for them. I would definitely say to people, don't fight. I'd rather you didn't fight because I care about you and your record. You getting a loss on your record won't affect me because I got another fighter or four more fighters. You getting a loss on your record will affect you 
And that is going to affect me because I'm putting everything I've learned. I'm giving you all of that, you know. So listen to your coaches because the only thing that matters to them is you and your you and your career. Yeah, exactly, mate. And I mean, as you said, there's no, you know, if you're in this sport for money at the the early end of the career, early part of the career, you're in the wrong sport. There's no money. There's not. Yeah. After that, you know, how many of us as coaches have spent months and months, you know, where we've gone weekend after weekend away for no cost, costing us money, in fact, petrol money, hotels, just to make sure that the fight is in a good place and, and all that. You, you, at the end of the day, the fighter needs to take responsibility. They are responsible for getting up every day and thinking, I'm going to give this day 100%, you know, because they're wasting our time if they're not. We've got a cracking coaching setup now. We've got a fantastic facility. If you're serious about the sport, you can walk through our doors. You've got everything you need as within the facility, as in um, equipment, cage, matted area, fitness suite. We've also got high-level Thai coach, high-level wrestling coach, high-level jiu-jitsu coach, high-level MMA coach. So yeah. everything is on a plate for you, but I can't make you come here and train five days a week. You've got to, you've got to do that yourself. You've got to. I say to everybody, there's no shame in losing. You know, um, recently went out to London and Josh Reed lost a great fight against uh, Nathan Fletcher. Great fight, though. Ne- never am I. I never ever. I never will be annoyed with Josh losing a fight because. His attitude and his commitment to training for the 12 weeks leading up to it is as good as anybody in the world. Um, he gives 100% in the fight. And when it's all said and done, whether he's one loss or draw, I sit down with him and I know that that kid has given me everything, you know. But there's nothing more frustrating. You, you, pro- you know, probably aware of this as a coach yourself, but you know somebody's not for the work in in the 10 weeks leading up to the fight. And then they don't get that result. And it's like, oh, I could have done no more. Well, yeah, you could have done some more. You should have not been drinking four weeks ago. You should have been training Friday last week. You should have come the Tuesday the week before. You know, I've got no issue with a loss as long as that loss has been on the back of you giving it everything in the gym and giving it everything on the night. You know, it's a 50-50 sport. It's a 50% of fighters win every week. You know, so at every given week, 50% of fights that happen, somebody's picking up a loss, you know. So you can't all be winning. You know, there's an old adage that one of my old coaches used to say to me is, everyone that fights is a champion and the winner is a champion of champions. And that's stuck with me for a long old time, you know. Great, but, but it's important that all the champions and the champions of champions have given you 100%. Because I'm not going to give you 100% if you're not going to give it back to me. You're wasting my time. Yeah, and the thing is, is if, if, if you want to listen to the to your mates who are patting you on the back who aren't in the gym training, that that's fine. But their opinion's not going to mean anything in the long no, run. Exactly. And yeah. the last person to pat you on the back should be the coach. He should be the guy who's critical of everything because I'm looking for your flaws. I'm not looking yeah. for the things you're good at. I've seen the things you're good at. You don't need to come and say to me, oh, but did you see the way I threw? I've noted that. What I did see is the way you didn't check this or the way you didn't. Yeah. And I'm going to be critical until you come out of that cage with a win or a loss. And I'm going to say, you fucking put it in there. Forget the result. You put the work yeah. in. And then I'm going to be your biggest number one fan. Until that, I'm going to be the most critical person. You've- yeah, our jobs, to be honest, isn't it? Not, not massage the egos, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a thankless task because, you know, we put a lot of hours in as a coaching team with it. You know, I'm, I'm my attitude is this. I'm, I'm in that gym every night and I train every night. So I've said to the lads, I'm 49 years of age. If I can commit to getting in there every day, it's not me that's going to be in and, you know, the hundreds of thousands once you're an established UFC star. I'm not going to have that many. You're going to have that many. But I'm happy to, to help you and, uh, and put you on that path. But, you know, if I can step on, on the mat of 49 without any excuses and do the session with everybody else, there's no reason why anybody can't do it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, it's nice to get money, mate, but how rewarding is it to be in some shitty leisure centre at a grappling tournament and see someone pull off a triangle or over yeah. a platter in a white belt competition? Yeah. I say this every way. I, I, I take as much pleasure from the young geeky kid that was bullied in school, come and start training, take yourself out of the comfort zone and do a jiu-jitsu competition and take, take not necessarily a medal, just take take a couple of victories, you know, and just to watch that, that look on their face. And, you know, for me, I treat everybody the same. When you come under our roof, you know, Jack doesn't get treated any different. Brett doesn't get treated any different. Marshall doesn't... They're all treated equally right right through. And I think that's been a, a recipe for success. I've been to a lot of gyms where you have your clique at the top and um, if your face doesn't fit, but I give as much time to the white belt jiu-jitsu class as I do to the professional MMA session, you know? So 
it, it's important that and again about being a team you know as you said in the early days you'll have to travel around you know how, how fortunate they now to, to be able to come under one roof and as I said have high level tuition in, in wrestling boxing jiu-jitsu MMA uh, Thai boxing you know and the importance of a team is what I've always instilled into my guys because yes you fight alone but if you've not got teammates you can trust and teammates around you that can work with you and willing to give up their their evenings and come and help you prepare for 10 weeks you're not going to do it on your own it's one of those sports yeah. we've we fight this in we've got a, a, a saying we fight as individuals but we prepare as a team exactly. and you know without your team you know you, you can't be an individual you could be the best fight in the world you've got nobody to spar with or, or nobody to come and grab with or do your strength and conditioning or hold pads you're not going to get very far yeah, I mean, Paul, mate, Paul Reed walked into one of my classes years ago. I'd already thought Paul was just thinking about starting it. He came into one of my stand-up classes. I used to teach at David Lloyd for Trojan. And Paul came in, and he was just an older guy, like probably 35 at the time. Older guy, tough as fucking nails. But you sort of like, not laugh, but you sort of dismissed him. Sort of, oh, that's just someone who's training to train, you know. Next minute, Cunt's got five fights under his yeah. belt. You know, he's just, he's Paul Reed. Now, I we talk about his relationship. He comes to me to talk. I know his daughter really well. He knows my family well. If I've got issues, we speak. We've cornered all around the world together. We've yeah. become, and it's the epitome of, from this sport, we both were fighters. Then we started training together. Then we were part of a team together. Then we built a team together. Now, okay, he he teaches sweatbox. I teach it A three. We both still fight out of Olympians. I fight out of sweatbox. He fights out of sweatbox. I fight out of A three as well. And uh, but we're it's the epitome of a team. It's we, you know, I've lost brain cells for him to win fights. Yes, and he's done the same for me. And yeah, it's yeah. I can't give you. I could never give him any more than the fact I've let him beat brain cells out of my brain. And he's done the same thing for me. And it's the acceptance of this sport will always, always take more from you. No matter how good you get, it will take more from you than it will give. Yeah. So value the shit that it's given you. Yeah, spot on. And as you said, it creates a camaraderie, doesn't it? I mean, my, I'm very fortunate that my group of guys are not just teammates. There's there's nobody on that mat that are, that's not friends, you know? And I think yeah. that's a big thing. So when, when one goes to fight, you can see the entire team wants him to do well. And that's not necessarily the case at every gym, you know? There's bad feeling in some places and there's jealousy amongst individuals but whether it's a, a a two fight amateur fighting or one of the guys in the ufc the the attitude of the team you know everybody gets behind everybody and wants everybody to do well so i think it's important you have a good team as you said you become friends for life and best friends with people that i've been training with for 20 years you know we've got that relationship and if we stop training tomorrow we'd still be mates because as you said you shared some tough times together yeah and i mean even to the extent of like you and I only know each other through MMA. Yeah, yeah. We, we met just because we coached opposite or coached on the same night or I fought on the same night as one of your guys or however the case may be. But you you get a real sense of friends because you've been through the same shit together. You've yeah. been you've sat there on a chair next to each other. Both your fighters have lost. You've looked at each other and you're like, it was a tough one tonight. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know exactly where the other person is yeah. on, at that moment, you know? It's... it's- it's a sport where you have the the highest the highs, the lowest the lows. You know, there's no shades of grey with it. It's either win or lose, you know, and uh, it takes a certain mindset to be in it for a long time, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what brought you here, mate? What got So you started, you said you were like 35, 36 or 30 off when you started. So what? Oh, no, I was, I was tw- 29 when I started um, traditional jiu-jitsu. As a kid, I'd done a bit of judo at, uh, in my 20s, and I'd done some karate and judo um, with a group of doormen that used to um, run classes out of a, a nightclub um, function room. But I was at 29, I, I got introduced um, to traditional jiu-jitsu, Rossi and Akaro, uh, the Tai Jutsu Kai, which had a lot of Carly Gracie influence. There was a lot of grappling. Um and I just got hooked. I turned up at the, a team called Falcons Martial Arts. It was a young Joe Duffy there who was in the UFC, you know, and these 15-year-old kids were whooping my ass, choking me out, submitting me. And those type of situations will make or break an individual. I've been doing a fair bit of training and thought I was a tough nut. And this was a real ego breaker, if I'm honest. I've gone up there thinking I'll be able to do as I please and um, come from me absolutely shocked, you know. Um, no, no idea at all how, how difficult 
uh, a time I was going to have with youngsters, not even at my own age. So started training every night, um, went on to be, you know, one of the most active competitors at the team, started doing traditional jiu-jitsu. Remember the old jiu-jitsu kumites? And then yeah. I started doing some nogi grappling, you know, the British Opens and whatnot back in... I've travelled to Ireland, I think it was in 2001 or 2002, done a, a jiu-jitsu open over there. Um, and it just spiralled from there. I ended up becoming really addicted with it. And um, I think it was like jiu-jitsu. Then I started, I think it was jiu-jitsu 2001, 2002. And I think I had my first no-headshot MMA by 2002, 2003 at one of the ML, ML sports. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was just progress from there, you know. I've done the, the matted shows and I started doing the headshots on the Cage Warriors events in the boxing ring. Yeah. Um, and I had a, a couple of pro fights then down uh, Strength and Honour. I went down, down there with Dave Matthews and Andy had a fight down there. Um, then went on Mark Goddard's Armour show and a couple of local, you know, but it was just a transfer. One of those things, it gripped me, you know, I wasn't a fighter naturally as a person. I'm not somebody who's going around. I'm not from a, a family of fighters. Just something I fell into, to be honest, from working in the pubs and, and meeting certain people. And um, as I said, it's, it's been a, a, a brilliant journey. You know, started back in, I was 29, it would have been 2000. It would have been 2000, I was 29. So what was your sport growing up? Like football. Stuff? Football, yeah? Football, yeah. I wasn't a bad footballer. Um, played for a lot of the local sides, played for college and, and whatnot. Um, but I didn't have no pace, if I'm honest. So I used to play centre-half because I could read a game, but I wasn't the fastest person on the field. Um, so I was never going to be a, a top-level footballer, but I was good enough to play at a, at a decent level, won a few trophies. Um, but like I said, I, I, while I was playing football, I was doing these these sessions, you know, where there was a judo black belt and a karate black belt taking these classes two, three times a week. And I was enjoying it, but on hindsight, they just toughened me up a bit, really. You know what I mean? It was yeah, yeah. lads, not with a great lot, amount of technical knowledge, but we were knocking lumps out of each other. And then I seen a mate of mine who still trains with me now, Steve Jane, one day when I was training down at their centre, and he said, you training still? I said, yeah, what about you? I'm doing jiu-jitsu. Do you fancy on a grapple? And he must have submitted me in three minutes, probably six, seven times, you know, when it was a bit of a culture shot. I couldn't, you know, that you can't breathe and you, you think, you think you're think you having an asthma attacks. So he told me where the gym was, and like I said, I turned up to his club. Um, that's when I met Joe Duffy at 15, who submitted me God knows how many times in a four-minute round. Um but like I said, I was, I'm was i one of these guys. I didn't have no ego. I didn't have no reputation of being a tough nut. So I just kept going back, training five nights a week. Uh, my first competition after six weeks of training. Um, and it just went from there. Like, you know, I was a bag of nerves when I turned up to this jiu-jitsu comp. You know, could quite easily have walked through the fire exit. No, no problem at all and left. But I ended up taking a gold medal. Um, and I was hooked. It was like, I said to everybody, you, unless you've done it, you can't, you can't, you can't explain to people that adrenaline. You yeah, can't, you know, um, and it is addictive. It's the worst drug in the world, unfortunately. And at forty nine, I still crave that drug. And uh, you know, the reality is, I, I can't go into, I can't go into relapse because I, I get sparked out now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, something, the... You know, I say to the lads, make the most of it now while you're young and fit, because sooner yeah. or later it catches up. I thought I'd be doing this forever when I was twenty nine. Ah, oh, be, I'll, but you can't. Mate. You get older, you know, injuries catch up with you you know, illness and, you know, you just don't recover like you used to. But that's how I got into it, mate. It was just jiu-jitsu onto the MMA scene. And then obviously once um, I started my own club, I started travelling to uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu clubs and progressed through the belts then and the Brolio Estimar then as well. Yeah, you just, like like you say, mate, it's a drug and it is the highest of highs. There's nothing like it, but it's more deadly than smack if it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if you get addicted to, to heroin, you're going to yeah. be a junkie. But you get addicted to this and don't know when to quit, you start getting bingoed and stuff. You know, it's not... Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I can see from, from me now, I, I often think, like, is that urge ever going to go? Will it go where I'm like, oh, if I get ready, could I take one last minute, you know? It, ne- it never goes, unfortunately, mate. It never goes. <laughs> but, uh, you just learn to live with it. We're, we're, we're like... Um, Recovering addicts, then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like I said, I'm a, what are you, 38, 38. So 2009, I think, was my last fight. So I'm, uh, what are we, 2020? What are we, 2021 now? Yeah, so 12 years almost. 12, 12 years clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I've gone out on it. If, if that was my last one, my last fight, I'm glad I went out with a head kick victory. I, I can rest on that, you know? Um, yeah. So what are you doing uh 
you obviously make like a uh, one of the most influential people in Wales for MMA and possibly in the UK. Um, whether you'd say that it does, it, that's irrespective. I'm saying it as someone who's seen the journey and stuff, you know. Um, but other than that, what do you do now, mate? Apart away from MMA, is it just sort of does it take everything or? It does. I, I, st- I still work. I work in a school, um, a comprehensive school. I'm a behaviour manager there, so I just deal with the vulnerable kids, behavioural kids. It, it suits as well. The hours works around the gym, you know. Um, and also it's only 30, 39 weeks a year. But add to that, I've got a good relationship with the people in charge there. So if I need a couple of weeks off to go to America with Jack or Abu Dhabi, there's never an issue. I get, I get the time off, so it works well. Yeah, yeah. I hear you, mate. You've got that. that I mean, it's that's priority, isn't it, really? Yeah. You can't make a living from the gym. You yeah. need something that's going to fit. Yeah. We're going to be and, com- and to be fair, Wes, it's a job I enjoy. You get I get a lot of satisfaction out of the work we do there as well, you know. So, um you know, will I be there long, long, long time? It's, it's hard to say at the moment, but um, at the moment, I'm still enjoying it. It's, it's something, you know, it pays well and, and, and it's a job I enjoy doing. Yeah, you, you mate. Apart, other than that, mate, I guess it's just uh, Love Island. You and I had like a mutual uh, thing of watching Love Island. You- I was a massive Love Island fan up to the last one. <laughs> and I see that you, you're constantly on the Love Island as well. I love the Love Island, mate. Yeah. I like trolling on the Facebook, mine, because um, some of the reactions I have off it as well, you know. But uh, I was devastated it got cancelled last year. But I did follow the uh, the Australian one. I didn't mind that. I enjoyed that when I was on. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've not indulged, mate. That was my, when it got cancelled, I was like, Right, that's my get out of jail free. No, are you, listen, listen. You've got to, you've got to watch our Australian when it's a good, it's a good series. You'll enjoy it. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Like I said, I, I, outside of the sport, I don't really do a lot. It's, it, it consumes me. You know, I'm, I'm a proper MMA geek for want then of a better term. You know, I'm constantly watching on television in my downtime, um, constantly trying to look at different techniques. If I see something, I'm a bit OCD with it. Do you know what I mean? I'll um, if I see something happening in a fight, I can fix it on after a couple of weeks. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. I want to make sure I'm fully aware of it, fully understanding, and uh, you know, and understand the situation. But apart from that, mate, I got a I got a caravan down in Tembe where I, I spend a little bit of downtime. I'm not a lot this year. But, you know, like I said, it's all all can see. I don't have a lot of time off to be honest, mate. It's uh, <laughs> this year has been a bit different. Do you know what I mean? It's it's hit me. It's, it's not me for six because of one of these people who's got something to do every day, but. Uh, yeah. This year has been the same for all of us. It's knocked us back a bit, but no, we still you mate. Northy, like I said, come April May, we see some normality and uh, we can get back to doing what we love doing. Yeah, what about fighter wise, mate? I saw like obviously Jack with his last. I mean, I'm fit like Jack and John Phillips. Fuck me, the UFC must have had a thing against those two, man. Fuck me, like they just they gave them some tough fucking runs. Yeah, to be fair, they, John, you know you. you Look at Marshman. He's had Santos, who's fought for a world title. You know, he he's fought quite a few top ten guys. You know, they yeah. put him on some killers. You know, but it's the nature of the game. It's the UFC. You don't get to pick who you fight then. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it is so important. Um, as I said, to have that apprenticeship before you sign because they can throw anything at you. To be honest. Yeah, um, and I mean Jack, obviously a great fucking guy, lovely guy. Um, seen his career develop, hard as nails, and then we like with John Phillips, like John's easiest fight was probably Jack Marshman, who's fucking a nightmare for anybody. So <laughs> it was not, like I, I look at these things and I'm I'm watching those two guys, you know, like pioneers of Welsh MMA, and you're watching like fuck me, what did you see? I was gutted they matched them, you know. I know John was calling for the fight, and yeah. You know, I didn't want the fight because there's enough fighters in our division without two Welsh lads having to fight at the highest level. And yeah. there was only two Welsh fighters in, in in that division. And it's put a loss on one of their records. But it is what it is. It's happened, you know. Marshman won, um, you know, so great, great for us as a team. You know, but at the same time, still disappointed for John. But it is what it is, mate. You know, um, like I said, we've always said Jack and Brett trained together. Now Jack's showing Brett Johns. But... Even yeah. before they did, that was one fight that we would never tell. We we made that clear at the UFC. You know, yeah. we'll fight anyone apart from Brett Johns because he trains with us a lot. Now he's training with me full time, so it'll never happen. And he's just signed for Bellator, so it makes things a bit easier for us. But 
Yeah. You know, it is what it is, pal. But uh, fingers crossed, April, May, June, we'll see some lifting of restrictions and domestically we can get back to where we were and not just uh, the upper echelon of the UFCs and Bellators, we can get the other guys fighting then as well. Hopefully, mate. So just uh, quickly before I let you shoot, mate, who, um, who at your gym should people be keeping an eye on up through the amateur ranks and stuff? Tip out a couple of names. Who do So people, when they watch this, it'd be good or listen to it, it'd be good for them to go and do a bit of research on your gym. And I know you're going to say follow everybody, but, uh, you know, like, I think people should start following people's amateur career. So who are you shouting out at the moment? Like, you know, this is, you keep your eyes on these guys. I, I got two, two bantamweights here. Um, Levi Batchelor and Kenzie, Kenzie Jones. I think two, two of them have got all the potential to go as far as they want. Um, 19, I think they are both 19. Um, been training with me now good, good few years. Um, they've had a couple of amateur fights again last year. Would have been a big year. I've had them probably fight five, six times last year, but obviously that never came to fruition. So I think I think both two and zero or one and zero, they'd have been around six, seven and zero. They, they, they're that good. I put them in. They, they were part. They're part of our um, bubble for the camp for Jack Show and uh, yeah. Brett when they fought in, and and them two lads in nineteen like, going all day long with MP. So that that puts in perspective. Um, I've got loads of youngsters coming through. Jack Beasley, King Darcy, Alice West, the car. I can go on and on and on. Yeah. I don't like to sing about because it puts a fair bit of pressure. What one lad that I will mention, I've got a 15-year-old boy there called Yoan Thomas. Um, and I think Yoan's gonna be the best fighter Wales has ever produced. Oh yeah? Yeah. It's a big shout, that is, mate. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's 15. He he's part of our pro setup already. Um, and I mean if I didn't tell you his age and you come and watched him train, you would be saying, when's this kid going pro? Yeah. You know, so. You get him like that. I get, I, like, Ronnie Mann was that for me when we, when, like, we were back in the day. You watch Ronnie Mann at 16 years old. Yeah. Like, uh, he looked as good then as these guys do now. And he, w- why he didn't get to the, yeah, yeah. the top of the top, you know? Just, yeah. I, I remember Ronnie, um, before we finish, I'll finish off the story, Ron, we was in Ireland, Northern Ireland. And um, I didn't know him personally, Ronnie, but he was this like 15 or 16-year-old kid under Rossi in the car, wasn't he, at the time? Yeah, yeah. And he entered the adult division in Belfast and just cleaned up, submitted everybody. Yeah. And, and it was unbelievable to watch, unbelievable to watch. Yeah, one of the first black belts that, that was given a black belt over here got like black belt from Browley, really yeah. young, you know, just yeah. phenomenal, mate, phenomenal. But uh, yeah, good guy as well. Good oh, guy. great, yeah, great guy, great coach. Um, mate, listen, it's been lovely talking to you, mate. Honestly, yeah, nice to catch up with you guys. Thank you very much for the time. I'll have to get your Jack on, mate. Definitely, we'll get uh, sit down and have a chat with Jack. I got my podcast is obviously broken up. Some's MMA, some's falconry, some's, but definitely have to get Jack on before yeah. he uh, before oh, he fights so. again. But. Uh, Otherwise, mate, thank you very much for the uh, for the time. It's been a pleasure. No problems, Wes, and hopefully see you at a show soon, pal. Nice one, mate. You take care. Ta-ra, pal. Ta-ra.